Welcome to Soccer 101, the podcast where we scratch the soccer riches you never knew you had. Today, we're going to focus on one of the most revered and successful coaches in the beautiful game. A man who's won multiple titles, who's adored by the city of Liverpool, and whose soccer now and man management are only matched by his character and charm. Sorry, Brendan Rodgers, it's not you we're talking about today. It's a man named Jürgen Norbert Klopp. And yes, Norbert is his middle name. It was his dad's name, fun fact. So what makes Klopp tick? How did he develop his managerial style? Who are his influences and who has he influenced? And why is he so gosh darn good at what he does? My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me today to give props to the cop's favourite Klopp, it's Taylor Rockwell. Hello. Graham Rutland, hello. Hello, Ryan Bailey. Hello, Joe Lowry. Ahoy, Ryan Bailey. <laughs> Ahoy, hoy to you, Joe. Graham, I heard you were saying you were surprised to hear of Jürgen Klopp's middle name. There's not enough Norberts around. <laughs> there definitely isn't, and I'm surprised and uh, delighted, quite frankly, that Jürgen Klopp is a Norbert. Yeah. It did. Was that the Eddie, movie fran- Eddie Murphy movie franchise, or is that Nor- Norbit? I'm getting confused now. Maybe uh, see, now, now, now I'm sadder thinking about that movie franchise. Yeah. <laughs> let's, just, uh, just, let's just forget that happened. Yeah, Joe, you don't need to add that to your list of movies to watch, which we are slowly building <laughs> for you, uh, bear in mind. Um, but why don't you kick us off, Joe? Would you mind taking us back to where it all started with, with the Jürgen Klopp, uh, his early career and how he got to where he is today? Absolutely. So I'm, I'm going to wind us back to the beginning of Jürgen Klopp's life. He was born in Stuttgart. Started playing for some local clubs in Germany. And I learned doing this research that he wanted to be a doctor as a kid. I didn't know this. There's a lot of interesting quotes that I came upon that I had never heard or, or read about before. So this quote's from The Guardian. This is Klopp speaking to The Guardian. He said, uh, but I'm not going to lie. I don't think I was ever smart enough for a medical career after he wanted to be a doctor. When they were handing out A-level certificates, my headmaster said to me, I hope it works out with football. Otherwise, it's not looking too good for you. And so I thought that was an interesting Ouch. quote. I know. I, I, I'm guessing that is dramatized slightly from Jurgen Klopp to make his point. But he goes on to say later in that interview, or at least in that article, it says that he has helper syndrome, which is, is as far as I'm aware, not an actual medical condition. But it, it's, it's this idea that Jurgen Klopp, wasn't e- a doctor. even at a young age... <laughs> wanted to to help people and work with people and <laughs> and I think build build up build up careers and I think that really shines through his career now. So I think that's a really interesting aspect of all this that, that sort of informed the rest of my research and some of my takeaways from doing this research and, and I'm sure from our conversation about Klopp. So you fast forward a little bit, he becomes a professional soccer player, so it does work out for him in that regard. No need in that way to become a doctor. Made almost 300 appearances with Mainz in the second Bundesliga. Never actually made it to the Bundesliga. And there, I got another quote here, so I'm a little quote heavy today, at least up front. This is a quote that says, uh, there's a little background to it here. In 2008, when Klopp became the manager of Borussia Dortmund, a newspaper asked him why he had never made it to the Bundesliga as a player. And Klopp replied, I had fourth division talent and a first division head that resulted in the second division, which I think is just, a, it's a great quote. Klopp never made it as a player really in any, any famous sense. He wasn't this highly regarded player. He played some as a striker. He played some as, a, as a defender before he retired sort of in 2001. That whole period's a little bit of a strange one. Maybe I'll leave that for someone else. But I think very early on in Jurgen Klopp's life, whether it's wanting to be a doctor and realizing that that maybe wasn't the right career for him, or this understanding that he wasn't really cut out to be a player either in a, a world-class elite sense, I think informed a lot of 
Jurgen Klopp that we know today. So I thought that early life and that look into Jurgen Klopp's upbringing and, and early playing career, even through his professional career, was a really interesting one. Joe, I'm super distracted because all I can think about is I wish that uh, Jurgen Klopp was my general practitioner. I could go and see him and he could like <laughs> tap that little hammer on my knee and make my knee go up my reflex joint. I think that'd be so I much fun. I think too hard. And then- I think you would hit that. Yeah. I think you'd hit the hammer way too hard and you'd be in a lot of pain, but it might be worth it just to hang out with Jurgen Klopp at the doctor. But imagine I, how I much he'd laugh. He would... <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually think he would have... There's like a lot of crossover between Jurgen Klopp and what I think of as uh, the qualities of a surgeon because he's... Everything I've read about him, he's very punctual. He prioritizes like uh, things being on time, but then things lasting exactly as they should. There's an anecdote about his, uh, when he was figuring out where he wanted to live, he asked somebody, when he moved to Liverpool, he asked somebody how far away it was from the training ground. They said 35 to 40 minutes, then they drove it, and he clocked it and said it was 33, and that they needed to you know, make sure they were specific with that one. So I feel like there's a specificity to him, but then there's also that sort of demanding scheduling, the way I think he sort of expects himself to, to conduct business, but the way he expects it, others around him to operate. I think I think there's a lot of discipline there is, I guess, what I'm getting at. And I think there's also a lot of, I guess, ability to problem solve on the fly, which connects back to when he first becomes manager at Mainz, uh, was a player, turned manager, and then made officially manager once he was able to kind of help lead the group and steer them to safety. There's a really good TIFO video about this where basically Stuttgart uh, sacked their manager Wolfgang Frank. Excuse me, Mainz sacked their manager Wolfgang Frank. uh, And then I think brought in somebody who's a bit more practical. They sacked him and decided they wanted to go back to Frank's model of coaching. But they didn't really want to hire Frank again. They didn't really want another manager. So the players that were there that were familiar with the style, they kind of asked them to take on more of a leadership role. And Jurgen Klopp was the central figure in that team from a leadership perspective. And so then he becomes the manager playing that sort of aggressive pressing style uh if you're seeing the sort of building blocks there you should be because that's where it starts great yeah we're going to get into that um uh, pressing style and what uh defines Jurgen Klopp's oeuvre but if we might Graham uh, do we have any uh insight into his influences and what brought him to the the, the place where he is now yeah so th- there's, there's a good Klopp book by Raphael Honigstein that that goes into his uh, to the influences that that Klopp has has cited throughout his career. So Klopp has has spoken more than once about the influence Arosaki has has had on his career and his outlook of of soccer. There's actually a lot of quotes from Klopp that he goes in in, in depth um, about this. But to summarise why he he puts Sachi on such a, a pedestal. It's basically down to how the 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 former AC Milan coach, he was a, a legendary coach, of course, in the eighties and nineties. He he saw the the pitch as space to exploit and utilize rather than just a collection of of players. And in, until that point, it very much been all about man marking. And there is a quote here from Klopp that I'll, I'll read out. So. He says of Sachi, he says, because of him, we had to judge the size of the pitch in a new way. I'm sure you remember playing with man marking tactics where you were pretty much following the opponent you were marking to the toilet. The pitch always felt incredibly big. And so Sachi comes along and as I say, he's more about exploiting space and using space. And that is that pretty much informed 
Klopp's whole uh, outlook of the game and, and his coaching career because he's very much about using space. The other major influence has has already been mentioned. Wolfgang Frank, who was his his mentor at Mines, the the manager before him, he was very much seen as a a sharp tactician in in, in German football circles. And apparently, it was Frank that introduced Klopp to a lot of Sachi's methods, and and Klopp, he saw Klopp as a future manager, so he, he kind of took him under his his wing. And it's interesting going back to those days when Klopp was a player. And I think it's a little bit disrespectful to call him a, a mediocre player because not that anyone's done that, but it, it, you look at his career and obviously he he didn't play in the Bundesliga, but he he did finish as mine's top record top scorer, which is a little bit strange for a player who was a striker and then a defender in the latter part of his career. But he left as as, as quite a, a legendary player for mine's, and they're a decent sized club in, in German football. But even as a player, people were clearly looking to Klopp as a potential manager and Wolfgang Frank was was one of those people who who as I say took him under his wing recognized that he might be a make a better manager than he was a player Ralph Ranić Ranić is often cited as, a, as, a, as an influence on on Klopp as well but I I think that's more down to Ranić being a forefather of Gegen pressing in 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 Germany that approach there is a respect between Klopp and Ranić and as there is a little bit of a, a personal relationship there I'm sure they they speak to each other if they were if they were passing each other in in, in the corridor as they must have done in the Premier League last season but I, he wouldn't I don't think he would rank Ranić at, at the same level as Sachi as as and Frank but I think we should mention Ranić as a as a forefather of Gegen pressing and how Klopp is very much part of that that school of thought in football. Indeed. Very interesting to hear about uh, Arrigo Saki being an influence as well, whose uh, name has slightly uh, been tarred in recent years. In 2015, he said, I'm not racist, but there are too many blacks in uh, the youth level in Italian soccer. So uh, hopefully, oh, thankfully, Jürgen Klopp doesn't take after Saki in all regards. Uh, no, certainly Graham, not. you mentioned a yeah, indeed, yeah. You mentioned Gagan pressing there, Graham. When we come back after this break, we're going to dig into that. We're going to dig into the defining characteristics of Jurgen Klopp, his mechanics, his style, back shortly. Do you like Formula One but struggle to keep up with everything that's going on? Then we have the podcast for you. Introducing the Race F1 Briefing, the podcast that brings you the latest F1 headlines in 15 minutes or less. With new episodes dropping on all four days of every race event, you'll never miss out on hearing what went down in practice, qualifying, or the Grand Prix itself. And we'll also bring you all the -the behind-the-scenes news and gossip from the F1 paddock as well. If that sounds like the F1 podcast for you, search The Race F1 Briefing in your podcast app of choice. We'd love to have you join us. Soccer 101, welcome back to our chat about Jurgen Klopp and what makes him so gosh darn great. Uh, Tater Rock, well, there are certain terms which are associated with Jurgen Klopp. I'm thinking heavy metal, heavy metal football, easy for me to say, and Gagan pressing. Uh, these mm-hmm. being sort of central tenets or tenets at the very least of Jurgen Klopp's style. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think there are, there are other terms you could throw in there that are, I think, uh, you have to give credit to Klopp for, but Gagan pressing heavy metal football would be uh, two of the big ones. I think he is widely seen as one of the main figures in bringing back or helping kind of spread that idea of basically 
attacking by defending high up the pitch and the idea that pressing and winning the ball back high can basically be the best playmaker a team can have. It makes your opponent uncomfortable. It forces them to have possession. It forces them to make decisions that your team then doesn't have to make. And and I think in that way, he's he's basically helped popularize it. But it's also, I think, representative of who he is and where he's come from. Because when he takes over that Mainz team as manager, there's not a lot of money. There was res- Resources were pretty scant throughout. There's a, a line about uh, Marines, U.S. Marines. I think they refer to, they say about themselves that Marines make do. And that feels very much like what Klopp had to do as Mainz manager, working with a very limited budget, and I think therefore relying on this system that it's basically you get everybody to play to buy into the same idea of working really hard, you've got to have the physical fitness, you've got to have the positional discipline, positional play, and you've got to have basically the idea that we're playing as a unit for like the greater good, essentially. And that, in some ways, means you're less reliant on individual playmakers' individual talents. I think that's evolved for him as he's gone to bigger and bigger clubs where there has been more money. But I think that is central in his identity, is doing more with less not complaining about the lack of resources, but finding a way to make it work as best you can. I also read an article about how that time at Mainz and the lack of resources, the uh, failed promotion campaigns, then they get promoted, then they get relegated, and he sticks with them and has one more season in the Zweite Bundesliga when he's trying to get them back up, and then eventually he moves on to Borussia Dortmund. It, it sort of sets the stage for when you lose that much, as much as they did, or have as many sort of downturns in fortune as they did, and you don't have the resources behind it, it, there's an argument that that is sort of what shaped him as fundamentally always wanting to win and and really fuel fuels that competitive spirit. And I think when you have a manager who desperately doesn't want to lose anymore, always wants to win, still prioritizes the players above anything else and the kind of team atmosphere above anything else, and that allows them to play the style he wants to, I think that's pretty much Jurgen Klopp in a nutshell. Yeah, and I think he also recognises what clubs are suited to him as well and that, that ethos yeah. that you've just talked about, Taylor. So he after he um, he leaves Mainz, he actually has an offer from Bayern Munich to become Bayern Munich manager, which is quite remarkable given that Mainz were, were still in the, the second tier of German football. Obviously, they'd been up to the Bundesliga but had suffered relegation under Klopp. So it says a lot about how he was seen in German football that he was he was offered the, the biggest job in the Bundesliga, but he actually doesn't take that job and instead he goes to Borussia Dortmund, who of course historically a very successful club. They're one of the the two biggest clubs in Germany. But at the time that Klopp took took over, they had been in the doldrums for about a decade, and he's he's always drawn to projects and rebuilds and clubs where he can as you were saying there Taylor about making do that he can he can kind of build a an ethos and and yeah. uh, an environment around that and yeah. similarly he leaves Dortmund as one of the most sought after managers in the world he has a, a meeting with Ed Woodward in 2014 as Manchester are looking to sack David Moyes and Ed Woodward thinks he's going in there with this great sales pitch to, to, to Jurgen Klopp and he famously tells him that Manchester United is quote the Disneyland of soccer and that turns Klopp off immediately and instead he goes to Liverpool where there is a, a big rebuild job going on there he, he recognises that there's a connection to be made with the, the supporters so he is very or he has been so far he's only really had you know three clubs as a manager so it'll be interesting to 
see what he does next. But so far, he's been very care- careful and clever about plotting his career and picking clubs that play up to his own strengths as a manager. And Graham, you're talking about that Liverpool job. And, and I think that move from Dortmund to Liverpool is is a fun one to focus on. So I was reading more about that transition for Klopp. And this is Raphael Honigstein talking to Grant Wall. And, and there's some stuff in here that I didn't know or hadn't read before, certainly didn't remember. So this is Honigstein. He says, Carlo Ancelotti was also interviewed for the Liverpool job. And, and the first thing that he told FSG, which is the, the owner of Liverpool Fenway Sports Group, was, yeah, we need a new center back. We, we really need a strong central midfielder and we need a top striker. We need to strengthen through the spine. And then Klopp comes in to interview, and I'm paraphrasing at this point, and he basically says, first of all, we need to activate the crowd. We need to make sure that they get it behind the team because football is not just about tactics and buying big players. Football is about winning. This is what Klopp says. Winning, tackles, football is about energy, football is about euphoria, football is about plugging into something that is bigger than the team. We talked about Klopp's influences earlier, and this is super cliche, but I, I also think one of Klopp's influences is the game. It, it is soccer. I think Klopp loves the sport and so much of what he does is built around this idea of energy and excitement and success. And Graham, I hadn't yeah. really thought about this idea of, of him looking for a, a project, right? He looks for clubs or has so far in his career with Dortmund and Liverpool that he can infuse with those attributes, the things that, that define him. And there's the tactical side of this, of course. And, and this also brings up the Julian Nagelsmann quote that's pretty well known at this point. It's, it's Nagelsmann saying coaching is 30% tactics and 70% social competence. Klopp does the tactic stuff, and he, he does the pressing, although even now today, Liverpool, I think, are, are much like Pep Guardiola, much like a Pep Guardiola team, much more certainly than his Dortmund team was, Jurgen Klopp, or, or much more than almost any other team in the world. They do possess a lot. But you get this idea of, yes, he's tactically inclined and has a lot of traits that define him and that he's helped popularize. And, and I, I think more than a lot of people, I love that stuff. I love the tactical side, and I love focusing on that. But doing this research on Klopp kept... Uh, kept me kept kept forcing me back to this idea that one of the things that makes Klopp so special and has made him so successful is the tactical stuff, yes, but it's also much more than that. I think it's yeah. how he tries to embody the things that he loves most about soccer and actually infuse those attributes into his team into his teams. And really, wherever he's been, you can't argue with the success of his methods. And I, and I think Joe uh, agree entirely. And I think that is what makes him such a fascinating and really unique person in like world football. Uh, I was reading that same piece about how, well, like the first few weeks, uh, at Liverpool, which is a great read, uh, at the athletic. Um, they interviewed different staff. One of them, uh, Gateman, uh, Kenny Grimes, who I guess had been there for a very long time. Ryan, to your introduction about Brendan Rodgers, uh, Klopp stopped and like introduced himself to the gate man on his first day and then remembered his name and would always stop be like how you going Kenny how's it going Kenny how's the family would remember big big events and uh uh Kenny Grimes was saying that Brendan Rodgers had been there for three years and had never spoken to him probably didn't know his name and just always drove through and that was sort of par for the course as I understand it with Klopp that he had in one of his first days I think he has the entire team sort of like basically sitting as all of the staff at, at Liverpool at Anfield uh, c- come through, and it's and it's basically like these are all of the people who you rely on to do your job. You need to know who they are. They're not servants. They're not just here to serve you. They're here for you to work with to get the best out of you. And by all accounts, that led to a lot more just back and forth between the players and the staff. And there's more relationships formed. And it feels like much more of a kind of uh, camaraderie and chemistry being built around Liverpool. And I think that goes a long way towards explaining how he's able to get 
his teams to do what they do and play the way they do when they have this sort of collective spirit, this collective belief. Um, I also, I, two other little things that I think were important to note here. One, there was a quote uh, for him. I think he told the players when he took over Liverpool, it's not so important what people think of you when you come in. It's much more important what people think when you leave. Again, it speaks to the ethos of wanting to basically kind of always be the best person he can be and his teams can be the best person they can be. So when Mainz get relegated, he doesn't jump ship, even though there are offers there. He sticks around for one more season in hopes of getting them back up. And by that point, they're not. The resources aren't there, so he moves on. But he does so as a popular figure in Mainz. Dortmund, he wins them at least one title. I can't remember if it was two. Uh, but then when things go south and it's not working, he walks away. But I think is still an endearing figure. And you look at how Dortmund play now or have played up until recently, including when Thomas Tuchel's there. And it feels like he kind of lays the groundwork for them to be the club they are such that this is my other l- little thing. Graham, like you mentioned Dortmund historically being a very important team and they are. But Manuel Veit has multiple times on this show pointed out that Der Klassiker was not Bayern Munich, Borussia Dortmund for the longest time. It was yeah. Bayern Munich, Borussia Mönchengladbach. And only, I would argue, since Klopp went to Dortmund and made Dortmund into this, this like for what they were, this machine that found a way to get around Bayern Munich, that's when Der Klassiker uh, is Bayern Munich versus Borussia Dortmund. And I would say he is almost single-handedly responsible for that, in my mind at least. So I think you can see his legacy and you can see the kind of I don't know, atmosphere he brings to his team all at once in that moment. Yeah, I I think you can see Jurgen Klopp's fingerprints all over German football as a whole at the moment, and certainly the Bundesliga. So not just in terms of how those teams play, and I think if you went through the the Bundesliga from top to bottom, there's a greater consistency in that league in terms of the style of play and the approach, the tactical approach of the teams than maybe any other major European league. And they all play a very similar way that that Jurgen Klopp, obviously there is variations, but the the, the gegenpressing style is, is, is very much uniform. In, in, in the Bundesliga, but also in terms of how those clubs scout and recruit talent and, and Klopp, he, he might not have been the first to do this, but I remember watching that Dortmund team in the early days, or not so much the early days because it took him a couple seasons to, to get going, but that first season that Dortmund won the Bundesliga ahead of Bayern Munich and some of the players that they had I, I hadn't really heard of and thinking, where, where have they found these guys from? You know, Lucas Barrios at that time, the USA's greatest ever center back, Nevin Sobotic, Jacob Blaschikowski. There, there, there were a number of players there that had come from slightly unusual places that Dortmund had looked in, in, in markets that you wouldn't normally look in. Obviously, Michael Zork was a, a big figure at Dortmund at that time and deserves a lot of credit. But Klopp was the one giving them an opportunity. And that is the, the sort of thing that has stayed in Dortmund's identity to this day. And I would argue has, has been infused into the identity of, of multiple Bundesliga clubs that until that point maybe wouldn't have gone with that approach. So I think at this point in German football, Jurgen Klopp has to be one of the most influential figures in, in the country's footballing history. Now, Graham, this has been a Jurgen Klopp loving of sorts this episode and rightfully so we're dedicating an episode to what makes him so special and so great but are there any shortcomings we can identify with Klopp I, the only thing I can vaguely think of is that he complains about weird things yeah. like it's too windy the field is too dry Allison's feet got a bit cold in that game have all been kind of that legitimate excuses one. he's tried to give is there anything else that makes like maybe even areas he could improve or is there anything that a shortcoming of any kind 
his his um his interactions with the media do frustrate me at times. The the most recent one was the the Community Shield, which is kind of always held at the at the same time. And if you're a successful team, it's pretty much a given that you're going to have to play more fixtures. And Liverpool played every single fixture they could have last season. And he complained a lot about that and the fixture congestion. It's very difficult when you when you're so successful that you don't get knocked out of tournaments until the final to find room for those those fixtures. But on the flip side of that, I I very much think he does the sort of Sir Alex Ferguson thing of controlling the narrative through the media. He's very effective at that. I've no doubt that he has influenced some decisions from referees as well, which again is something that Sir Alex Ferguson did. So while it is grating, I, I do think he does it for a reason. There is more... Jurgen Klopp's remarks are in the minds of the Premier League when they schedule fixtures now, when they schedule Liverpool fixtures. And and if that results in Liverpool getting one or two weeks of a, a slightly easier schedule, then he would then he would consider that mission accomplished. But as a, as a as a manager right now, maybe some maybe some weaknesses will emerge. But I think at, at this point, Jurgen Klopp has evolved his his style and his approach very yeah. effectively. The gegenpressing pressing core is absolutely still there but as Joe mentioned he's 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 uh, absorbed some of Pep Guardiola's style as well to keep Liverpool current we've seen them sign a traditional number nine this summer and Darwin Nunes I expect we'll see a little bit more evolution there so at this point as a, as a manager as a, a tactician I, I am struggling to think of a little bit of a weakness beyond some uh, some annoying comments in the media yeah he's he's one of there's no doubt in my mind about this. One of the greatest managers of the modern era, and I think one of the greatest managers ever. You look at, at what he's done, and it's difficult that he's been in the Bundesliga at the same time as Bayern Munich when they've been dominant, and he's been in the Premier League at the same time as Pep Guardiola and Manchester City when they've been dominant. But Liverpool, you look at you look at this team, you watch them play, and you go back and look through the, some of the numbers too. They are right up there with City in so many different ways. So he's won two Bundesliga titles, Taylor, to go back to what you said earlier with Dortmund. He won the Pokal in 2011-2012. He won the Premier League title with Liverpool in 2019-20. The FA Cup the next year, the Champions League in 2018-2019. He's been the German coach of the year. He's been the Premier League manager of the year. He's been the global coach of the year. I don't know what it means to be the global coach of the year, but hmm. either way... You can see how much success he's had. It's a lot of trophies in in you know a decade, basically, as we're recording now in 2022. And he's had to compete with some of the best teams that have ever walked the planet at the same time. And Graham, to go back to what you said, his evolution. You know, I, I kind of mentioned that earlier as this idea that that his his teams have become a little bit more mainstream, and this idea that that the big teams tend to possess, and, and Klopp has sort of gone that way. But it's it's not like that just happens automatically. You have to develop possession principles that, that can make your team a successful possession team. And any team can go out there and try to be a possession team, a possession-oriented team. But if they're not prepared and don't actually understand how to do that, it's not going to work. And you watch Liverpool and the way they've married possession and pressing under Jurgen Klopp, I think is still unique in soccer maybe ever, certainly today. I think he deserves a ton of credit for how he's adapted and changed while still having the same foundation from job to job, from job to job, excuse me. He is one of the the best and I think most influential managers of all time. I think if we're looking for negatives, one thing I, I would say is that when it comes to communication, the kind of consistent refrain is he is exactly who you see him to be. There's not, he's not putting on a show. He's not behaving one way on the touchline or in the media and then being a different person when it comes to training or behind closed doors. I think he very much speaks from the heart. I think that is how he communicates, but there is 
uh, like a, a frankness. He's he's German. I'll go with the old stereotype. But like there is, I think, by his own admission, a willingness to speak plainly and speak frankly about issues. And like uh, Jeannie Wijnaldum tells a story about there was one game. I think it was a Champions League game. They were losing. And at halftime or maybe it was even at full time after they had lost, they'd had a bad game. And Klopp said to him, you had that look in your eyes. Like, I know when you get that look in your eyes, you're not going to if you start poorly, you're not going to make it better. It's going to be a bad game. And you did that today. Um, that's paraphrasing, but the gist being like, I could tell that you weren't going to play better and you should have. And when all them in that moment thought like, that's not what I need, man. I don't need you to tell me that it's my fault and that I, I was the one who let the team down. And he acknowledged it later on that like, no, he, he, re- he read it correctly. And that is what I needed to hear. And it was a learning moment. But that was when all them when I think he was 27 or 28. And I think for younger players coming through, um, I think it it can be, especially if you're not used to that style of communication, from what I understand, it can be abrasive and it can be really difficult because if you don't sort of know that it's, you know, I'm yelling at you because I love you, uh, it, it can be a little bit like, man, he really doesn't like me. And I believe I'm correct in saying that Liverpool have had to employ more sports psychologists, not just to deal with that, but to kind of help convey the idea that, this is how you can deal with that. This is how you can not take that personally. This is how you can kind of move on from those interactions. Because I think at times it can be really direct. It can be really in your face. Not necessarily aggressive, just sort of telling you what you're doing poorly. But if you're a, a world-class footballer who isn't maybe used to hearing directly what you're doing wrong in that way, it can be a little bit jarring. And I think that it's something he's worked on uh, because of his time in England. But it is still a thing that I think can rub certain players the wrong way. And I think yeah. explains why some players don't end up kicking on when they move to a Klopp team. I, th- I think Klopp is one of the best at using emotion to his ad- advantage. So there's 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 so many tactical things you could mention about Klopp, why Klopp is so good. And that's kind of the, the duality of him is that he is a brilliant tactician, but there's also all, all this emotion and, and connection stuff that going on as well. But the flip side of that is we have seen in a couple seasons in his career at Dortmund at Liverpool, seasons where his teams have suffered almost a, an emotional dip where they have achieved something great and they've they've reached the peak and Klopp has used emotion to ramp things up and got the crowd on side and then after they achieve it to use a te- tennis analogy after after a player will, wins a, a tight set it's very common for the for this that player to suffer at the start of the next set and maybe lose the next two or three games because they meant their um their mentality, their mindset just isn't in the in the right place. It's not in the same place, certainly. And we have seen his last season at Dortmund, they finished, I think, 7th or 8th. They lost the DFB Pokal final in, in his final game. Then, not last season, but the season before was a difficult one for Liverpool. The season after they won the Premier League title, which was obviously this massive thing, not just for Klopp, but for Liverpool. They hadn't won a Premier League title before. They hadn't won a league title in 30 years. So this had been built up to such a, such a, a massive degree. And then the season after that, I think there was a little bit of a, an emotional and maybe a physical dip as well from Liverpool. And they, they just managed to finish in the top four in the Premier League. So may, maybe that is something that you, you need to take a little bit of the rough with the smooth with Klopp as every so often there is a, there is a track record of, of there being a season like that. All right, he's won three league titles, three domestic cups. He's been to four Champions League finals, one of which he's won. And, of course, the Club World Cup as well. Plenty has been achieved, Joe, by Jurgen Klopp. I suppose my last question is, how much more can he achieve? And as we mentioned, he can't stay at the top forever. So like, does, does, does his style become out of fashion at some point? What, what, what happens next, I suppose? 
I mean, eventually he's going to move on from Liverpool, right? He's been there for a long time now. At some point, it's going to come time for him to take a different job. Just like with Pep Guardiola, it's going to come time for him to take a different job. I wonder if that is national team coaching. Klopp doesn't strike me as the ideal type for something like that. So I would imagine he'll get another club job. Jurgen Klopp doesn't strike me as a, as a guy who's going to go out of style quickly. I, I think he still has a lot of relevance left between how he conducts himself in media interviews and his personality. He is, he is still, I think, at the top of his game now, just as much as he was a decade ago. So I think it'll be another pretty big job, maybe not a a classic European Super League club or maybe one of the, the lower echelon, one of the lower clubs in that in that sort of tier. But I think we've got another good stretch of Jurgen Klopp being a pretty well-known and highly regarded soccer figure. I, I think he'll be at Liverpool for, for a good while yet, but I, yep. I am really interested to see what his, his job, his, the next job after Liverpool is because he could go to, to Bayern Munich. Bayern Munich, I think, even though they've got Nagelsmann, I think they would throw their doors open for Klopp at any point. They've chased him for about 10 years, but it doesn't feel like a natural fit for Klopp for, for all the reasons we've discussed. He could go to Real Madrid or Barcelona. Again, that doesn't really feel like a natural fit. So is he going to compromise his, his own principles and his own identity as a coach and maybe take one of those jobs? Or is he going to go somewhere like Atletico Madrid, where that I think that club would be a good fit for him, but then obviously their style under Diego Simeone is very, very different. So he's going to have to think very carefully about what his his next move is because um, there's not a, a, a lot of natural fits out there at the top level. I'm not sure I agree that he'll have to think about what his next move is because uh, I'm not sure I agree that he will move on from Liverpool. I mean, I guess everybody moves on at some point, but I think Wayne Rooney was saying that he sees parallels between Klopp and Sir Alex Ferguson. I, I think I do as well. I mean, things could always change. Things could always end up sort of uh, going off the rails, as they did with Dortmund. It seemed like he would always be at, at Dortmund and happy there, but that didn't work out. But I think when you hear people in Liverpool, Liverpool fans talk about him, he is beloved. They will say he is God. And I, and I think that's not the end-all, be-all, but to have an entire city appreciative of what you've done and what you do means that if there is a downturn, if there is a bad season, I think they're less likely to have that frustration he needs the sack as opposed to, oh, he needs reinforcement. We need a rebuild. We got to change it up. But I think he has that backing to be able to go through some reconfigurations, some rebuilds, and it won't be so much, oh, now we're fourth in the table. He's got to go. Uh, I also think when we did the one-on-one about what Sir Alex Ferguson or what made him so special, what kept kind of ringing for me was how much he was – uh, a micromanager, but also a delegator that when he had very specific exacting demands for things, but when he encountered somebody who had those same uh, specifications or those same demands or that same sort of caliber of decision making, he would then empower them and sort of keep himself moving. And I look at Klopp, who has groundskeepers that he will fly into wherever they're doing preseason training to make sure that the grass is exactly how he wants it. He will bring in specialist coaches. They had the throw-in coach to work on those things. Anything he can do to innovate and find that competitive advantage, he will take. And it seems like that includes building this convivial atmosphere, this we're-all-in-it-together atmosphere at Liverpool that has, I think, allowed them to do what they've been doing and allows them to keep doing it. And so... I think short of him getting bored or there just being some sort of very dramatic falling out, I think he's there for a very long time. I don't know why he would leave because I don't think he's going to get that level of support as quickly as he got it at Liverpool with, with where they were for a club of their stature. 
I mean, he really was the savior of that club at that point, and I think is still perceived as such to this day. So I won't be surprised if he's there for many, many, many more years to come. I think I know why he'd leave Taylor. I think you've all missed out the obvious next step in his career is to fulfill his childhood dream of becoming a doctor. There it's it is. Dr. Klopp. Dr. Klopp in the house. Just imagine the lab, Dr. Klopp. The, you know, the lab coat and the, and the little hammer hitting, hitting your knee as he chuckles. I, I, I'm picturing it now. I can't wait for that moment to happen. He actually, uh, to, to bridge uh, Graham's pun there, because I think it does work, Klopp does seem like the, like the type to be like, but it's inefficient for me to only use my two hands. If I'm going to be a very good doctor, I need six me- like metal tentacles coming out of my back. And then he truly becomes <laughs> Doc Klopp. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> Can you imagine how he would celebrate if he got a diagnosis correct running down the corridor screaming? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, wonderful stuff. Wonderful it would stuff. be it would be awkward if it was like a very specific form of uh, like like cancer or some debilitating disease, but he was like, he got it right first time. I don't know if that would quite maybe uh, be the way that the patient would want to hear that news. Yeah, we'll rethink that one perhaps. But in the meantime, this has been Soccer 101 and our look at Jurgen Klopp and his excellent career thus far. Taylor Rockwell, thank you so much for your contributions. Thank you, my friend. Joseph Lowry, thank you very much, sir. Thanks, Ryan. And Graham Rutherford, thank you very much indeed. Thank you, Ryan Billy. Listener, thank you for joining us on this one. We'll be back on the feed with another one very soon. But for now, catch you later. <laughs> 